0: What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about 3D printing. We're talking about making little models, making little things for your game, creating some really cool game components and what that looks like. We're talking to Kirk Dennison from over at Peacekeeper Games. Kirk, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Gabe, for having me. Glad to be back.
0: Yeah, man. Now, I really ha- liked having you last time. You you brought a ton of just really interesting information and knowledge and tips and tricks uh, you were, we were talking about prototyping and making really cool uh, prototypes and doing it quickly. And I had a lot of people send great feedback and say, "Hey, I learned a lot in this episode. And like you, you really sped up their their prototype making and and helped them along in that." And so I'm excited to talk to you about this because this is kind of in the same vein with helping people make great looking prototypes and great games. And so, but just in case maybe people missed that first episode, maybe they don't know who Kirk is. Tell me who you are, how you got into game design, you know, the, the stuff you're doing now.
1: Sure, I'm glad to hear people enjoyed the first episode. I'm Kirk Dennison and I run a small indie publisher called Peacekeeper Games. We have three titles that are in well, one's currently for sale, one is releasing to backers in two weeks, and one will hit Kickstarter in any time now. Then we've got another project in the works. We primarily focus on games that tell different thematic stories, other that aren't represented in other games and If you were to explain the elevator pitch in a very brief period of time, people would not confuse them readily with other games. That's a little bit about me. Our games are pretty varied, though.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And you got some really interesting games, and one that's I want to talk about the one that's coming up on Kickstarter uh, towards the end of the show. We'll kind of get into that because that's something actually you've, you've been doing some three D printing and, and kind of making some really cool models for that game, and I'm sure that's going to kind of weave its way into our, our conversation today. But first of all, what is three D printing? What is this whole new uh, era that we're in where you can just print stuff in three D?
1: Sure. Well, for those who are not familiar with three D printers, I'm going to explain it rather simply. So. Bear with me if you already know these things. Imagine you were to take any 3D object, so whether it's a rock or a mouse or a pencil, and if you were to cut it into lots of tiny layers where it was very thin paper, so the taller the object, you'd have more layers, but if the object is wide, say, example, a ruler is going to be more wide than a pencil, you would still have the same number of layers. They just happen to be wider layers the 3d printer takes each object you want to print slices it into all those tiny layers and prints them layer by layer on top of one another so theoretically most anything can be 3d printed given a large enough 3d printer and appropriate computer software
0: yeah gotcha and what does it print like what is the uh, the substance or material it uses to print?
1: Sure. So there's a lot of different substances. Most commonly, you would have a filament. It's a type of plastic. There's a bunch of different types that is heated to a certain temperature where it melts, kind of like a hot glue gun. And even kind of like a hot glue gun is that you have a a very short period of time when you press down on the button, it gets hot, it goes on something, you can form it for a very short period of time, and then it will harden rather quickly. So that's actually probably a pretty good example. Now, even in surgical medical settings there are all sorts of other unique materials that they'll use for doing human transplants for cells and all sorts of ridiculous stuff so 3d printing is also used in large-scale manufacturing settings so different automobile manufacturers will use them just prototyping for different parts before they order their large-scale print runs i think that most companies that create pieces of sorts use 3d printing at some point in, in the development process of new items it's just a lot faster to bring things to market
0: yeah we're in exciting times man we're talking about people are on the, we're on the cutting edge of printing organs and, and things to go like go in our bodies and it's just
1: it's kind of crazy i think the first experience i had with 3d printing where it really hit me that this is awesome is i read a news story about a child that was born without a windpipe so if you can think about that the child could not breathe on their own when they were born and they had a very limited timetable to live, and the doctors were able to 3D print a windpipe, surgically insert that into the child, and the child is now three or four and living oh, normally. It's
0: crazy. It's absolutely exciting what <laughs> we're living in. And now we're not talking about things quite as uh, amazing <laughs> as, as, you know, saving children's lives. We're talking about board games here, which you know maybe saves your family's life every now and then. You know. Um, <laughs> But we're talking about how this is kind of part of the new new game era. Like if you look on Kickstarter, there are so many games that are just full of, of printed stuff, whether it's miniatures or terrain, all sorts of amazing things. And so let's kind of talk about some of the uses of 3D printing in game design.
1: First and foremost, if you are publishing games, I think that 3D printing is a really fast way for you to be able to get re- semi-realistic shapes for what you would like to do in your final version. Now, there is a decent amount of cost and time involved with 3D printing. So I want to draw a line there that if you are listening and you are just a game designer, you have no aspirations of going to Kickstarter yourself or publishing other people's games, you or even your own, you might not benefit as much from a 3D printer as someone who is going to run to Kickstarter or publish a game. Now, that being said, you can still derive a ton of value from a 3D printer as a game designer. But I did want to draw just a line there that the upfront costs and the sunk costs are a little bit higher for what you're getting out of it but if you're designing a lot of games or you just have some extra birthday money or want to learn a new hobby on the side of game design because 3d printing is another hobby in and of itself then it might be something that you want to look into
0: yeah, that's a great point. That uh, you know, if you're just one guy designing one game, maybe not the way to go. Especially not to buy a machine. Uh, maybe if you have a good friend, I have a good friend, and uh, that he just bought one a while back, and it is absolutely phenomenal to watch this thing work. And he just kind of throws a, a model in into the program, and just you just you just sit there, and it, it works for hours and hours and hours because it takes a long time to print some of these things. And you can just kind of right. stare at this thing. It's almost like the uh, that TV show How It's Made. Oh man, I love that show. Like I loved watching that in college. You Just kind of watch as something creates. Something out of nothing, and it's absolutely amazing. But I've got a good friend that I can now print some minis on, and I don't have to buy the machine up front. And so that's uh, maybe another way to go.
1: True, and that's a good point. And I've done this too. You can buy 3D prints of all whatever you'd like, even other people's models or models that you or a friend create online. And it depends on what materials you want and how quickly you want it done, but the prices can be – affordable or quite expensive so even if you didn't buy a 3d printer you, you could look into 3d printing options online it can get pricey depending on the the size of the pieces and how many you're looking for though but i think maybe we'd focus more on if you're getting one yourself because i think that if you go to it online it's still kind of like a black box and mm. you just press a button and people create it for you and <laughs> I read a little different. you're you're still not as Knowledgeable what about what's happening? Yeah. Other than you get a cool looking thing,
0: right? You're basically just buying something off Amazon. It's just a little bit different scenario to get to the, uh, the buy button. That's all the only difference there. Uh, so let's go. Let's go back into like what are some of the biggest uses for this uh, from game design from game publishing standpoints.
1: Sure. So I think the biggest things you would do well to use a 3d printer for would be to create custom shapes that you don't readily find in other games so for example if you're making non-standard pawns maybe there's some sort of application for this maybe they need to have something rest on top of them so for example maybe you have a weightlifting game and you have meeples that need to hold barbells or something like that and they need to hold an object in the meeples that you see in games aren't going to have an object balance very well on top of them and you want to have a semi-realistic shape, that, that might be something that's valuable to you. Same thing if you're trying to do some sort of stacking game, whether you're making like custom Tetris pieces or Lego brick-type pieces where you need to get more than two pieces on top of each other. If you don't either do custom fabrication of wood or plastic, it's going to be hard for you to show the final product in person. I had a friend, I live in Madison, Wisconsin. This is the first time I saw someone use game design and 3D printing and it got the wheels turning, is that he had made a real-time, I think it's a castle-building game, but if you can picture pieces that they were basically like a combination of Lego and Tetris pieces, maybe it's more just Tetris pieces, but so if you've got like a little grid and you might have a, a piece that's a square and then one that might be, if you think of in Lego brick terms, you might have three bricks wide and one and two bricks tall and so just like L-shaped pieces or if you can just picture that like in Tetris you're trying to fit the pieces together and he had 3D printed all these so that you could see a better representation of what he was doing and I thought it really helped for his game now I asked him a ton of questions and how much it cost and that's what started this whole can of worms I didn't think about it that much after that game but it, that was in the back of my mind somewhere
0: that was the seed that, uh, that turned into this tree huh? <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's a couple other things that you would do well if you're trying to put some sort of plastic tray in your game. So this would fall more on the publisher side. A 3D printed version of a plastic tray would be a nice way to really see if your pieces will fit in the box the way you want them to. Now, you you could do that through other ways, through more traditional molding methods where you're doing more of like a, I'm going to say the wrong words, but more of soft materials that you could kind of mold into place. But by all means, if you're just doing it for basic resources, you should just buy 10 by 10 millimeter cubes from Amazon in the learning resources. I think that's the company. I I just buy those things every time they drop on sale. It's like 10 different colors. They're not very expensive. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is definitely more the like, you need some custom components. Like if your game really hinges on custom components, like that, that friend of yours, like that game is the components. It's not like, oh, you know, you can kind of do this with cubes and figure it out. Like, no, that, that game is the custom components. Like that's a, a, something you might want to look into 3D printing for. Or if you have a game that's really just all miniatures, right? Maybe you want to look into, like, what does it look like to, to kind of uh, use this this 3D printing age that we're in to, to do that? And that's something I know you've done recently. And weren't you handing out minis at a uh, convention here recently?
1: I was so we handed out about over 500 3D printed miniatures that were printed on our printer over the last five months at Origins.
0: <laughs> yeah, and how did that go over? Did people like really respond well to this, like the little? It's like a little soldier guy, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it was a 28 millimeter mini, which is a fairly standard size in most games, and people were going nuts for these things. Uh, we probably had to turn away 500 to 1,000 people more than what we had giveaways for. Yeah,
0: that's a good problem so, to have.
1: <laughs> yeah, got a lot of traffic from it.
0: Yeah. Now, how long does it take to print just one of those?
1: So to kind of recap what you're talking about, this was a 28 millimeter miniature. That means it's the maximum height of the figure to the base of it is 28 millimeters. The width of it can vary depending on the shape. So this was a soldier standing with a little shield and sword, and I can print four of them in a little over three hours, so about 45 minutes each.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So if this is something you're going to do at scale, you really have to plan way ahead cuz that's going to take you a pretty long time to print 500.
1: Yeah. We talked to another Kickstarter creator. I'll give a shout out to Tucker of Card Lords and he has been a really great resource for me about 3D printing and I've asked him a ton of questions. I knew next to nothing before I started getting into this 3D printing space and he knows way much way more than I do and he was similarly in advance of one of his kickstarters 3D printing a lot of pieces to make sure he had them done in time. So you, if you're going to do this, just kind of recreationally, it doesn't matter when you start. But if you're doing it because you have a deadline, you're really going to want to buy these way in advance. Yeah, for sure.
0: Now, as far as quality, what's the difference between you know one, one of, like with your minis, like me printing one at home, one of your same soldier minis, versus me going through Panda or Lone Pack or you know whoever, and and doing minis through them. What's the difference in quality and, and that kind of thing?
1: Sure. So the difference in quality. Quality would depend on the material you use. There's a few basic common materials in the 3D printing space. The most cost-effective is – they're known usually by three-letter acronyms. This one is P is in Paul, L is in Larry, A is in – what is A? Alpha, Alpha. I think. P, PLA is the cheapest, but it's also the most brittle, which means it's more susceptible – Maybe I'm saying it slightly wrong, but uh, maybe it's not the most brittle, but it is very brittle. It's more susceptible to breaking, and you'll see more of the layers. So if you think about building those sheets of paper on top of each other, at each corner, if you look on the side of it, you will be able to see it's basically like you glued a bunch of layers together. So if if you're making something that people are going to be holding close to their face, it's going to be a lot more obvious. There are other type of materials that you can print on, and I believe – the way it, and I don't even know all the, the technical terms I just know how to print things in the materials that I have and do it rather quickly and uh, kind of the poor man's 3D printing solution <laughs> so uh, that's why I feel like I can speak to this is that I, I don't have all the answers but I've done a lot of cool things in a short amount of time and I would like to think you could too but there are some other types of 3D printing that basically you put some sort of acetone on the outside of it and it eats away the edges a little bit so then it smooths off the outside Almost like if you were to just dump some sort of acid on something and let it eat away at the edges a little bit. Then you can go into more of – you could even 3D print with different types of uh, resin, which are much higher quality. You'll see those for more of the larger miniatures people are trying to show off before they do mass production. And then you could even do more of metal 3D printing if you've got some sort of crazy high-end 3D printers, which – I've never messed with.
0: So <laughs> right. that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the quality difference can be pretty extreme, but if you look at it from arms length away, you won't notice as big of a difference. It's more of when you put it in front of your face.
0: Gotcha. It's almost like the uh, the ones you do at home might be a little more pixelated uh, than the ones you might get right. from a uh, you know big time manufacturer kind of thing. All right, let's talk about some more uses in 3D printing. What other things have you seen uh, people use this you know these mach- machines for as far as game design?
1: Sure. So I think some of the coolest things you can do are if you've got a really fun idea for a start player marker. I often see games that have very thematic start Mm -hmm. player markers. Most of those shapes are not going to be readily available. Now, this is going to assume that you have some basic knowledge of how to manipulate images, whether it's in GIMP or Photoshop or any of these online programs you could use rather inexpensive, is if you can take any flat objects. So if you can just picture you draw a circle on a screen. That's a flat object. If you have a flat object, you can uh, can extrude that. And what I mean by that is you can add depth to it. So in Photoshop, it's, it's fairly simple. You take a single layer that has a flat object and you can go to a 3D option and press create an extrusion. And then there's an option in there. You can tell it how deep to make it, whether you want to make it 10 millimeters deep or four millimeters deep or whatever, and then it will make the 3D object for you. You can save it as a 3D object. That's all you need to do to start 3D printing is have a flat object. So you could take any image off of Google Images. You can copy that into your image editing program, remove the background so that all you have is just the outline of your, your shape that you want and then extrude it. And if you don't have Photoshop, I believe you can do this even online. You just Google that. I've known other people that have done that. I'm not sure which programs they've used, but I've been told it's fairly straightforward. And then you can save that as a 3D object, and then you can load these into the software you use to print what's a 3d printer so in literally a matter of two or three minutes you can take any flat object and have it ready to print on your 3d printer so you don't need to be overwhelmed by anything it really only gets challenging if you're trying to build something that is more irregular something that stands up like a miniature where if you can understand what i'm referring to here it it isn't uniform all the way from the top to the bottom like thing maybe it's like a if you build a boat, for example, that you wanted to not print on its side, you can think about the boat extending further out as the almost like you're physically building a boat with board by board. It's going to be getting wider as you go out. Those are the type of objects that take a little bit more work. But if you're just doing a 2D extrusion, it's incredibly simple. So I've done this for a start player marker. I've seen other people do that for start player markers you can do it for fun thematic resources. So if you have some sort of special theme in your game that's going to do, that people are going to like to pick up whether it's lightning bolts or some sort of unique vegetable or um, kind of fantastic item, whether it's a wand or something like that. People, your playtesters might even appreciate having just like one specialized resource. Even if the rest are just cubes, they'll start to get into the theme. Like I'm thinking about uh, what's that game called? The, one Kenner Spiel a couple years ago. The broom flying game, broom, broom service, broom service. They just have cardboard wands in there. If, mm-hmm. if that game had wood wands, or if they had done three D printing with wands, like think of how cool that would be. The game's pretty cool as it is, but I'm just saying, if if that mm-hmm. was your game, and you could show that off at a playtest event, you got some nice eye candy there. Uh, some other uses now you can build structural things that help hold other things together. So I think there was even a Kickstarter for this number of years back that there, some people made their own custom card trays. So if you ever play a game that you have a bunch of cards in your hand and it's hard to keep track of where in your 15 cards is the one card you need to pay attention to. Some games come with those trays. I guess you could think about like rummy cube or mm-hmm. however you pronounce that. It's got those racks for <laughs> your tiles. Nice scrabble. Or, Great example of <laughs> Scrabble. Some games will do well to have those, so you can buy those, but if you need a custom shape, you could 3D print those, and there are even free models online for those. So yeah, even outside of making your own models, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of free models you can download that are open source and you can print them. Welcome to the World Wide Web. It's <laughs> fantastic for 3D printing.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I'm going to get more into that in just a minute, but First of all, why do you think people love this stuff? Why do you think miniatures are so popular? Like, you go on Kickstarter and you find there's there's so many like million dollar Kickstarters that have so many just beautiful and intricate, amazing miniatures. And so, like, what is it about these things that people are just drawn to?
1: Your guess is as good as mine. I'm (laughs) just wondering if it's people like fantastic artwork, Mm -hmm. and to show that artwork on a, a little toy like figure is. I think it just brings people back to their childhood. You think about whether you liked um, some sort of action figures or something, and, and if you had that one toy as a kid that you just always liked holding and you wanted to take it to bed with you or whatever, and, and so as adults, just being able to have that and stare at it I think just kind of brings us back to those those memories, and it really brings you into the game thing. Now, I, I love meeples, and I probably play more games with standard wood pieces than plastic figures, but... I do think that in some game settings, the plastic figures really bring out the theme of the game more.
0: Yeah, I'd say so too. I think in in your marketing. The, uh, the miniatures, they help you market the game. They, they bring out the theme. And just by showing a picture of the game, you can see this like giant dragon or giant monster on the table. And it's not a card. It's not a, a wood cube representation. It is a, it is a dragon. It is you know, a 40-millimeter a <laughs> uh, or whatever dragon on the table. And it looks amazing. And so I think the toy-like nature just kind of harkens back to our childhood, like you're saying. I also think it's, it's almost like, uh, like Jeeps. If you ever watch a Jeep commercial like the whole time the jeep is like out on these like ridiculous roads out in the mountains it's in the swamp in the desert it's like doing all these things that 99.999 repeating percent of people who buy a jeep will never do but they could if they wanted to and i think that's part of it too like with the miniatures like painting is a, is a hobby in and of itself and so, like, there's a lot of people that buy these games, and because they want to paint stuff, they they want to have more really cool things to paint. And even if the game's not great, it's like, well, look at all these things I have that, to kind of add to their hobby. And there's a lot of right. other people. I've got friends who are like, they don't paint much, but they they could if they wanted to. I think that's also part of it too. It's like they have all these things that they they could get into that hobby if they if they wanted to. And so I think that all kind of comes together to create these like amazing looking and amazingly marketed games that blow up on Kickstarter.
1: For sure. There are quite a few elements to it, and so being someone who doesn't collect miniatures, I I don't have definitive proof of all those things, but I think you're right. There's all sorts of different factors that entice people to want games with miniatures.
0: Yeah, actually, the word "collect" that you just you just said—that's another thing. I think you know people will collect will collect miniatures way long long before they collect carts or they collect meeples. Like, because like with Blood Rage, Blood Rage, there's like this whole side market of people selling these hard-to-find. Uh, characters for blood rage on eBay and all, whatnot that it's like why do people want it? Well because they want to finish their game. They want to com- they're completionist. And so like miniatures right. give you you know, people this completionist kind of mentality more so than like a promo card or something like that. It's interesting.
1: For sure. You mentioned other uses. We've three yeah. D printed stencils of numbers that oh, we yeah. were using to paint on Meeples. So we have uh, meeples that we needed numbers on. So if you just think about a meeple and you need number one, two, three on them, you could do stickers. That works fine. But the first time I did stickers, I found that my my sweaty fingers, or maybe other people's too, wore those stickers off so fast. So then we decided to use Modge Podge, which is basically like a clear coat on top of that, which also worked. But it was there's multiple ways you could skin the cat. But we realized that we could. Paint on the numbers on the meeples, and I don't trust my unsteady paint strokes. I could have used sharpie, but I needed a certain. I, I wanted something that layered on better, so we ended up uh, doing the opposite, where we extruded the outline of a number. So I took a number shape, and then you can in an image program take the opposite of what you have highlighted, and then I extruded the the background, and I made tiny little stencils that were maybe half a millimeter thick or one millimeter thick and we use those to paint with so that was something we recently did a really cool application um you could do that if you're i mean i'm thinking of tiny epic galaxies they have like a a little cultural symbol and a star symbol and just a few basic things that they have silk screened on their wood so mm-hmm. if you wanted to buy your standard meeples from Gamecrafter or uh, any other place and do your own silk screening you could 3d print your own stencils of the shapes and then do your silk screening that way.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. It's almost like the sky's the limit with this stuff. Like we're just now on the cusp of like figuring out what we can do. And I can't, I can't wait to see what all people come up with. As far as game design and, and organs and like you know life in general, it's going to be really exciting. The the world we're going to be living in in a very short amount of time. But let's get into kind of some of the your recommendations, right? As far as like sure. specific printers and like cost, because that's that's a I mean these things aren't cheap by any stretch. They're getting cheaper, which is good news. Sure. But they're not cheap. So like, give me some recommendations on, on like what you would tell people to buy.
1: If you were just wanting to get started and you are okay fixing things that break because 3D printers are like buying used cars, they will break. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I mentioned it's a hobby in and of itself. I am on my third printer of the printer that I have. I'm glad for a good return policy with Amazon because I'm pretty sure we actually broke the second one and we didn't hide that fact, but they were still kind enough to replace it. Was this during your
0: 500 model printing job? This was
1: earlier, thankfully, but (laughs) we've learned some things the hard way. But I use a Monoprice, that's the brand, Select Mini V2 3D printer that retails for $200 on Amazon. You can sometimes find sales for $179. I think that's probably your best starting point. I was recommended this by a ton of people. There are even some dedicated Facebook groups for this very printer and other 3D printing aficionados, not even just board game people, are basically your internet help desk for the printer if you have any problems. We've posted things on there and we'll get 10 people that will respond within an hour giving lots of helpful suggestions. So I'm sure there are tons of other 3D printers that have support groups online, too. So you, if you look for a different 3D printer, you might want to see what the online community is like to help you so you're not reliant on waiting on the official company itself to answer your questions. That's probably your cheapest end Now, if you're really into, some, in, into this and you're wanting to take your 3D printing to the next level, I would not buy this printer. And the reason is the sheer number of things I've had to fix on this printer or Troubleshoot, and there are a number of modifications or enhancements that people recommend for this printer. It's not like you're just going to have everything working perfectly all the time. There are, you would probably expect to pay somewhere in the six hundred to a thousand dollar range at the starting point if you're wanting to get something that's a little bit more stable. So this is a pricier investment, but if you're just looking at your feet wet, it's not as expensive.
0: Gotcha. Now real quick, now two hundred dollars. That's way lower than I expected you to say to getting started. I thought six hundred to a thousand be starting point. So give me like give me a good range. Like if I'm going to print, you know, one thing every now and then, is that the, is that the $200 version versus? Oh yeah. Okay. So if you're just out, if you're just like wanting to get into the hobby, have some fun, print some little toys, print a handful of components every now and then do the $200 thing. But now when you move into that 600 to a thousand, give me like a range of like how often I'm using this thing in order to justify spending that much money.
1: I'm not sure if it would necessarily be how often, but it'd be with the quality of it. So a big thing is size. I think the maximum size object I can print with this printer is probably four inches by four inches by four inches. Okay. So if you can picture... And that's with the $200 one, right? Correct. So in a board game space, I think that the main application why you would want a larger one would be if you're printing custom inserts for your games. So there are a lot of people these aren't even game makers that like to design their own custom trays for games that don't come with trays. And they will mention that they need to buy larger printers so that they can print it for Eclipse or I'm probably picking the wrong game examples, but just some games that have very large boxes. Uh, Otherwise you have to cut your inserts into three, four pieces or more to print them. So that would be probably the biggest thing as a game creator, if you were looking to do that. But I think that most game creators, if you think about it, most of your components aren't going to be, anywhere near that size unless you're mechs versus minions or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And now, real quick, how much are the uh, like the, the filaments, like to, you know the plastic that actually goes into the printer, how much does that stuff cost?
1: Sure. So your PLA that I buy on Amazon with pretty good brands is about $25 per roll. Now, I've printed literally 500-plus pieces of most colors that I printed with, and I've not ran out of any of my colors yet. Now, I'm not printing – the biggest of pieces all the time, but I've been printing nonstop for five or six months, and I'm still haven't had to replace my color. So you'll be printing for a very long time on each roll.
0: Okay, cool. So it's it's not like ink cartridges that seem to run out at the most inopportune time. Uh, these things last a little bit longer. All right. So we have the two hundred dollar so version, and then that next step up, kind of six hundred to a thousand dollar range, and then so that's kind of a, is that a mid range or is that like what would that'd that be? be a,
1: like? Probably a low mid range. The sky's the limit on three D printers. <laughs> right, you can spend as much as you want to spend. Right, <laughs> you probably jump up to a. I'm going to blink on the actual name of this. There's, I think it's called the Form Two. Is a very high quality three D printer, and it's several thousand dollars. And I say several with an asterisk because I'm going to find out later. It's probably eight thousand dollars something. But it's. I don't think it's at the ten thousand dollar mark. But it's somewhere in the single yeah. digit thousand range. That that would be a very high quality mid-range printer and then if you're looking for just some crazy stuff you're going to have to break the ten thousand dollar mark at least that's what i understand gotcha now and so i think in those cases that would probably be if you're printing things to actually sell so if you are wanting to actually open up your own shop on etsy or something like that you would want to get a printer of that quality.
0: Yeah, and you're probably wanting to do something that actually generates income if you're buying something that expensive, unless you just got money right. just falling out of your pockets. Uh, you got the, the money tree out back. Then you probably need to do something that's going to kind of recoup some of that investment.
1: Or if your day job gives you some sort of generous allotment for R&D. <laughs>
0: that's right, where you can kind of do some multi, multi-use kind of things. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, all right, let's, let's talk about like websites that people can go to, uh, maybe to to find printers, but also more more specifically to find models, to find stuff to print. Because you don't have to create this stuff, like you're saying. There's millions of things out there that you can print for free. So, like, what are the right. sites that you use to find your stuff?
1: The main one I use it's Thingiverse. Mm. Now I'm going to spell it because it's kind of yeah. sounds weird. That's the one I was hoping you'd mention, man. T h i n g, and then the letter i, and then v e r s e. I've used a few others as well, but I find 80% of what I'm looking for on that website. So, for example, I've gone on there. I tried to find the stencils on first, and then all the stencils I was looking for, they weren't the right style of font I wanted. So eventually I made my own stencils. But there's all sorts of cool stuff on there. If you're trying to – outside of games, if you're trying to just make little toy figures for your kids, uh, you would find all sorts of fun things on there, whether it's like Mario characters or all sorts of – you know. Things that bring you back to your childhood.
0: Yeah, Literally millions of things.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. you could spend all day looking for things people have created. Now, the part of the coolest thing about this, in addition to them being free, is that you can resize them mm-hmm. to any scale that you want. So if, this is similar to vector art. 3D printing is kind of like vector art. So if you make something that's two, in, uh, two millimeters wide by two millimeters by two millimeters, you can scale it up to 10 by 10 by 10 in just a matter of seconds. So you don't have to be locked into one size. Uh, The printer you buy will have generally its own software that it it comes with or it recommends that you use. Some can use multiple types of software. The printer I use recommends using software created by a different company called Cura, C-U-R-A, that's fairly intuitive to use. There are other printers that have even better software that comes with it, so that also can factor into your decision process, but I'll just talk from the program that i know i can open any 3d model in that program and then i can go in there and i can scale it either to definitive sizes so i'm like oh i downloaded this model and i definitely want it to be 10 millimeters thick i can just change it to be 10 millimeters thick or i can even just change the scaling of it so it proportionally gets smaller or larger so yeah you can Do all sorts of things with the models you're given. You can even, for example, make things wider or skinnier. So if you were to find a cool model for some sort of game piece someone posted, but it it isn't quite the shape you want, but it's in the general form, you can adjust the height and width.
0: Yeah, this is something I'm actually working on right now. So my friend with the 3D printer, uh, he's also a pretty good woodworker. He's got like a little shop in the basement of his house. Uh, And so I was talking to him the other day. I was like, hey, I'm working on this game where I need a kind of a specially made dice tower. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not just, it doesn't just roll dice. It does like something a little bit different and it's it's kind of a custom component. And I was like, hey, you think you could help me come up with something to make it out of wood? And he looked at me, he's like, why won't we just 3D print it? And I was like, uh, uh, yeah, why don't we just 3D print it? And so I went on Thingiverse and I found a dice tower that was kind of similar to the shape that I needed. And then right now he's working on just taking that... Model and then changing it in the ways that it needs to be changed, and we're just going to 3D print the thing, which is crazy. That, that that's that's just what you can do. And so, yeah, I love that you can go in there and find stuff that's close to what you need, and you can adjust it and change it and make it exactly what you need. So it's really cool.
1: And I should say that I don't really know how to modify models in real 3D modeling programs like Blender or things like that. I'm probably going to even say the wrong things. Mesh Lab <laughs> is another one, and all sorts of other programs that, where you can actually go in and change the Contours and mm-hmm. the angles and things like that. I just kind of the utilitarian. I'm going to 3D print the things. I'm going to pay people if I need to pay them, and mm-hmm. then I'm going to do my own scrappy modification and just get the job done.
0: Right. Like but, you said, it's a hobby in and of itself. Like this has become right. his hobby, and he's, he like loves figuring this stuff out. And so, yeah, that's another thing. If you don't want to like travel down that rabbit hole because it's a very deep hole, um, just be aware of that.
1: I, yeah, I would say that. The first month you get a 3D printer, the amount of productivity printing your prints, you probably print four out of five things wrong. You'll (laughs) print it trying to do something, and it's not going to turn out right. There are times when the 3D printer just absolutely malfunctions, and you'll come home if you go somewhere and it's 3D printing, and it will have a ball of melted and then re-hardened Plastic underneath of it itself, and it's just moving around, adding to this <laughs> molten ball. This has happened a couple times, and you just wasted three hours of printing, and yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. I would just throw a couple of random tips out there that if you're going to get into 3D printing, is the first thing you should do if you're going to buy it. So, I'm just going to speak from my printing experience with my specific printer, but this is probably true with most of them. You should figure out what everything that could go wrong with your printer is at the high level list if you look it up in reviews. You want to be cognizant of what you need to do. So the biggest thing with my printer is that the bed, when I say bed, it's what you build those layers of of filament on. That bed is terrible on my printer. So so the general recommendation is you should buy glass. Now, if you have a Lowe's or a Home Depot near you, some of them will cut the glass to the size you need. Mine did not for whatever reason. So I had to buy a glass cutting kit. (laughs) I actually cut myself. Like I literally cut myself when I was cutting glass and <laughs> bled all over the place, uh, trying to cut my glass to fit the size of my bed. And then I had to sand down the edges of the glass so that it would be smooth and I didn't continue to cut myself. And then I used um, binder clips to clip this on top of the old bed. So there is a bit of, a little bit of a, adjustments you're going to need to make on the fly to your printer. But one thing about 3D printers is they can recreate themselves. The, If your piece breaks on your 3D printer, you can 3D print a replacement for the piece that's broken on your 3D printer. (laughs) That's really cool. (laughs) Now, you might need to use a friend's 3D printer to 3D print the piece to get yours back up and going, but it's crazy. So make sure you know what you need to do. You you probably want a checklist of the first things you should do. A glass bed is, for example, something that I need on mine. Uh, A couple other things to keep in mind are that you're going to want a dedicated space to print with, so I – have lost my desk for all intensive purposes to 3d printing for the last five months they will be you'll need to keep them in a stable temperature area and also kind of out of pets and kids ways so those are just some basic things to keep in mind Um, and then beyond that uh, you want to buy a lot of um, glue glue sticks because that'll Will help increase the adhesion of your print you that's a very common problem is that you print something and it doesn't stick on the bottom layer kind of like if you were trying to even with your making prototypes you're trying to put down a paper on a punch board or a chipboard trying to make it if you don't put enough glue or double stick tape down that the, the paper is going to come up the same thing is true on 3d printing is that often the bottom layer won't stick very well and then you have a deformed piece on the bottom
0: Gotcha. Well, let's stay on the track of insider tips and tricks. What are some of the other things that you've learned just through experience that somebody like me that's never really done it wouldn't know without actually getting in and uh, figuring it
1: out? Sure. So leveling your print bed is the most important piece of determining if your print will be successful. I think I'm probably the world's worst person at leveling our print bed. I watch YouTube tutorials all the time on this, and people – make it sound like it's not that hard and my wife and I feel like we're incredibly dumb because we can't get it right so if you are 3d printing and you're having a hard time leveling your bed please know you're not alone I probably have to re-level my bed when I'm leveling about 20 times to get it right now when I say level it if you can think about hanging up a picture frame on a wall as a Utilitarian person like I am, I'm just going to hang the thing on the wall and I'm not going to usually be as concerned if it's level. But that doesn't usually fly so well when my wife looks at it. She'll say, That's not level. So I have to pull up a level and make sure that the item is level. If it's just a single screw, um, screw or nail, it's not a problem. But if you've already screwed in something on the leftmost side and the rightmost side, well, too bad. You need to put another screw in the wall. Mm-hmm. The same concept is true with 3D printing. You've got four corners of your build plate and you will have to adjust the height on all four of them. So if you adjust just one of them up or down, sometimes it'll throw off all the other ones. So it's sometimes annoying that you have to adjust all of them in tandem. And they generally recommend doing it in like a circle and doing a small adjustment, like a quarter turn. But this complicates factors when, when you have a piece of flat glass on top of that. So if you can picture pushing something up underneath of a flat object that won't bend, you won't necessarily notice the impact of your twisting the level up or down until it might be a little extreme that it causes the glass to push up at an angle. So all that being said is you're going to have to spend a lot of time leveling. Now, you don't level very often. You level at the beginning to get it right. And then maybe after 50 prints or so, you'd want to reevaluate or if things aren't working right, reevaluate. So don't be surprised. You have to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, A couple other basic tips to keep in mind, though, are that if you are um, buying more of a low-level printer, it will involve manually monitoring things. Some of the higher-end ones come with cameras built in and things like that, or or you could modify it and put your own there. So if you're going to print something that will take a long period of time and you've never printed it before, I wouldn't just leave the house and assume it's going to work out. You're probably going to want to print it first thing in the morning, check on it at the very beginning and at the mid stages and if everything looks good then head out somewhere because otherwise you might waste a lot of your printing time and your material if you're printing something that takes six hours and it messes up part way through uh, of course if you're printing just one little piece and it doesn't take very long to print that doesn't really matter so those are all things to kind of keep in mind the other big thing is that it's not just about your cost of buying the material it's usually about time if you're printing something that takes three hours and it goes wrong at the two hour mark that's a really big problem because you've just wasted two hours learning that it doesn't work <laughs> right the last tip i would mention is in relation to things called supports and i don't want to get too much into these right now that's this is an animal that i really am not confident to speak on but i try a whole bunch of things and I learn more all the time, but it's very, very complicated. But if you can picture printing a miniature with someone standing with a sword, now remember the concept of building layer upon layer. That doesn't work to just all of a sudden put material in the air to build the sword. So what you basically do is build a support beam. If you're thinking about building a house, they often build support beams up the side to help support the progress of building something it's the same thing in 3d printing you build supports that are material you will break off and remove after you print it to help support the final product and your supports are going to vary depending on the program you use and your needs of your miniature this is the most time-consuming thing of printing something complicated you will Drive yourself crazy sometimes on a, on something, and you'll probably want to reach out for help if you're having trouble figuring out the right settings. And this is where those online communities can help a lot. I've had to reach out for suggestions on, okay, I load my model, and I say, this isn't printing very well. It keeps breaking. Like, I have a model that every time I print it, the bottom of the shield breaks. There's support there, but whatever reason, the, sh- the shield always falls off. I never was able to solve that. I ended up paying someone to print it for me. But... It, you, you can drive yourself crazy if you don't reach out for help on those more complicated models. But if you're just printing simpler things like extrusions of 2D objects, there's no supports needed.
0: Gotcha. Now, something you've, you've mentioned a couple times is, is things are more brittle than you maybe expected or anticipated, and they're breaking more than you expected. Any other tips on how to keep things from breaking?
1: You would need to use higher quality material usually to keep things from breaking. So depending on your printer, mine can print A, B, S. It's a higher quality material that costs a little bit more. And there's uh, other higher end materials as well. That's probably your first and foremost way. The other thing you do is you need to make things thicker, which if you're getting something off Thingiverse or whatnot, you would either have to modify it yourself or find someone who could do it. Now, finding a good 3D modeler is also probably helpful if you're a, a publisher. As a designer, I probably would try to find a friend to do it since each Design that you want modeled up would cost you somewhere between $200 and $300. So wow. that in and of itself can get rather pricey. Yeah.
0: Now, where would you find somebody? Like, if, as a publisher, where do you find modelers and sculptors and what? Actually, let me ask you the, the difference. What's the difference between a sculptor and a modeler?
1: Oh, good question. I, I use the terms interchangeably. Maybe okay. they actually mean something different. So I, you would go on something like uh, DeviantArt. That's not the best website for it. There's a. I always forget the names of them. There's a few websites I go to look for artists, and you'll find sculptors or modelers on there as well. I think a simple way to find them is to find a board game that you like and look up the board game credits and see who did it. Now these people often cost a lot, but sometimes they're still available. Yeah. If you're willing to pay three hundred dollars per
0: model. <laughs> right. If you've got that uh, extra money lying around. Well cool man. Well anything else? What any other like closing advice or thoughts or ideas you'd give somebody who's maybe thinking about getting into this or just started out?
1: Just a recap, I I would caution if you're getting a 3d printing that it turns into a hobby in and of itself. And it's kind of like fixing a used car. So if you are the type of person that likes fixing used cars, for example, I bet you would love 3d printing and you should probably go buy one right now because (laughs) you would have so much fun because if you run into a problem, I think people that get that type of thing, they love it. You pull out your tool set, you try to figure out what's broken and you fix it. But if you're the type of person that leases a car or hates to do any repair on your car, that's your personality you might get really frustrated with 3d printer. And I say that because I'm in the in-between camp. I know just enough to fix my car that I don't have to pay someone to do everything. Like I do my oil changes and uh, some other basic things, but I don't know how to fix most things. I could change my brakes for example, but I'm usually paying someone to do that. So I'm in the in-between camp where I can tolerate it enough to want to do it. But I know that some people would get frustrated out of their minds. So just know yourself personally. And, Maybe save yourself the trouble if you're the type that wouldn't want to mess with a car.
0: <laughs> yeah, know what you're getting into on the front end before you drop a whole bunch of money, and maybe do like I have I've done and find a good friend who has already dropped a lot of money, and you just kind of go borrow his stuff and pay him twenty dollars every time you want to print something
1: or something like that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you know someone that has one, I mean, I've done it for some friends too. If if, if I'm not actively printing for five months straight, which I was recently, I, I'm glad to help people, but. Some people's printers are tied up for a while to projects, so keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, very cool. All right, man. Kirk, again. Really glad to come back on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Just kind of, there's a lot of stuff I'm just learning. I don't know anything about this, so I've, I've really, uh, I've got some things, some notes I've written down about some stuff. And I'll have uh, notes in the, uh, or links in the show notes on the website for different printers and different websites and that kind of thing. So if you want to check that out, go over to BoardGameDesignLab.com and it'll be in the show notes over there. Uh, we're about to head over into a bonus round. We're going to talk about pledge managers, what a pledge manager is, how to use it during a, a crowdfunding campaign, that kind of thing. But first, Kirk, you got a, a game coming up on Kickstarter. Tell me about that.
1: Our next game is called Rurik, Don of Kiev. It's a Euro-style medieval realm-building game in an 11th-century kingdom. You are heirs to the throne following the death of a prominent ruler, and you are the next best ruler. It features a unique mechanic called auction programming. You're trying to bid on your actions ahead of time. The lower actions go earlier, generally giving you less benefits, and the higher numbers go later and give you more. So you're trying to openly bid on how you're going to take your actions on a large map trying to prove your worth in ruling building trading and some other areas so it takes about 30 minutes per player even has a solo mode and it will be on kickstarter july 10th
0: very cool and it's got a little cool uh, miniatures in there too right
1: it does it has 69 miniatures it's designed by the designer of dice hospital stan kordonsky he's russian so the game theme is set in kiev and rus which is a city-state that existed prior to Ukraine and Russia. Our primary character artist is from Ukraine, so we've had two people involved in making the project to share cultural heritage in this uh, old city-state, so it's been fun to bring their heritage to life.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, hey, I really hope it does well, Uh, and good luck with more 3D printing, and good luck with the Kickstarter and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you, Gabe. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics